Hey, welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream. We're going to review week 12 in the NFL. I'm Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders, joined by Ian O'Connor from Edge Sports, like every Monday, live streaming on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. If you are watching us live, be sure to make comments in the chat. You can ask us questions all about week 12 games. If you're on YouTube or Twitch, please like and subscribe. You may be listening to us after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, in which case, please subscribe to the show. Give us a review. We'll read your review next time. And, of course, don't forget about our big sale on FO+. FO+, is now on sale for just $0.99 cents a week for an annual subscription. It's a limited-time offer, but it gets you all of our stats and analysis, fantasy data, and betting information. Do not miss out. 99 cents a week. You can access this at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or uh, underneath the show, there should be a listing for how to get the uh, subscription. Uh, Ian, welcome again. Let's talk about Thanksgiving games. And um, we're actually going to go back a little bit for week 12 and talk about the Raiders against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving afternoon, easily the best of the Thanksgiving Day games, and it was actually the most watched regular season game since 1990. Yeah, that's that was really surprising to me. We're talking kind of some of the games you think about we've had in the regular season recently, the, the Chiefs and Rams on Monday Night Football a couple of years ago. Granted, that was on ESPN, which um, not everyone has, I guess, and then you've got – um, even I would think, you know, you you and the, the Patriots facing Tom Brady this year back at, at uh, Gillette for the first time, I thought would be maybe a, a very high. Or the uh, undefeated Patriots against the undefeated Colts in 2007, mm-hmm. I thought might be the most watched game. Yeah, so very surprising when I saw that. But so it ended up being a good one. Needed overtime to settle it. Uh, we're going to start in the third quarter. Mike McCarthy, who was really good through the first few weeks. We talked about him um, even last week or two weeks ago. Came into this week ranked sixth. He had dropped uh, four or five spots over the last couple of weeks in our coach rankings. Uh, he had a couple of decisions that really aren't going to help him. Uh, and these are going to be a little bit more aggressive um, than some of the other ones that we've seen and perhaps some other models. Ours typically does end up being a little bit more aggressive. Uh, we've got a whole lot of play-by-play data over the last 20-plus years. Uh, our customizations utilizing DVOA we think are some of the best, if not the best, out there. So we stand by them as aggressive as they may be. The first one came early in the third quarter, about 10 minutes left, fourth and three on the Dallas 41. So Cowboys on their own side of midfield, but approaching midfield. McCarthy chooses to punt when they're down four. Uh, so it was a 3.8% decrease in pre-snap win probability. Uh, ended up being fourth of the week, the fourth worst of the week. And it just, even without CeeDee Lamb, even without Amari Cooper, You've still got Dak Prescott. You know, the, the Dallas offense is very good. Dalton Schultz, Blake Jarwin, a couple tight ends that are capable. Um, Schultz has had a really good year. You still have Zeke. You've got Tony Pollard. Um, Cedric Wilson has kind of shown at times that he can be very good. Yeah, I think he had some drops in this one or maybe the week before against the Chiefs. But still have some playmakers. That, you know, with Dak at quarterback, that's just one fourth and three. You'd, be, you'd expect even an average team to convert that probably around 50-ish percent, maybe a little bit more than 50. The Cowboys, especially against that Vegas defense, which – really isn't all that great, should be able to convert that. So this one, 3.8, we're going to see, though, this week, aside from our very top error of the week, they're going to be smaller numbers. They're around four, below 3 4 or 5%-ish, which aren't, you know, huge ones that we're going to 
um, you know, come out and say are, are absolutely terrible. You know, there's no, there's no way that they should have punted or kicked a field goal. Nonetheless, you know, based on the customizations and the, the game state there was a, the fourth worst call. And then about eight minutes later, they were in a similar situation, fourth and two this time on their own 33, down eight this time with only 220 left in the third quarter. Chooses to punt again. It's just 0.1% worse at 3.9%. So a couple of those that, you know, might seem kind of counterintuitive in your own territory, uh, especially when you're losing. Um, you know, maybe people don't want them to, to fail and give up kind of automatic points, if you will, which there really are no automatic points in the NFL, as we know. But still, a couple of decisions that we just thought McCarthy should have been a little bit more aggressive. We've seen that over the last couple of weeks that he's kind of struggled um, in these close games. And then moving to the end of the fourth quarter, Dallas had one of the most impactful plays of the week, though. They were able to tie it up. Dak Prescott hit Dalton Schultz for that 32-yard touchdown. They were then able – that was a 20.7% increase in pre-snap win probability. They were able to get the two-point conversion to tie it. And then the Raiders had some missed opportunities the next possession. And the third most impactful play of the week was uh, Derek Carr's incompletion. It might seem like not a big deal. You know, third and three, the Dallas 38, two minutes left. Ball's incomplete. It's a 20% decrease in win probability. Part of that decrease, or actually half of that decrease, is due to the decision that came next. So looking at the start of the play at third and three, and then the start of the fourth down play, Basaccia chose to kick the field goal instead of go for it, which was our worst decision of the week at 13.5%. If he makes the right decision, that uh, third down incompletion is only a 13.5% decrease. It's not in our pre-game, or it's not in our top five win probability swings. The Raiders maybe don't even go to overtime in this one if they're able to convert that. Uh, it's fourth and three. It's a Dallas 38, a 56-yard field goal. You know, Carlson had a really good game. I think he had two 50-plus yarders and up like four or five total field goals, including the game winner. Has been good this year, but that's not a guarantee. And with two minutes left, Dallas still had two timeouts. That's a lot of time for any NFL team, especially one led by Dak Prescott and that Cowboys offense. Yeah, I think that the, the goal there is by going for it on that fourth and three, first of all, like you said, it's a hard field goal. Our expected score off that field goal indoors is 1.86 points. So that, you know, there's mm -hmm. like over a third of a chance that he misses that field goal, mm -hmm. even indoors. And, um, you know, you also want to take as much time off the clock as possible, like, like, even if you end up with a field goal, if you end up with a field goal with no time remaining, it's a shorter field goal attempt, and you don't let the Cowboys come back on you. So, um, yeah, that was a mistake to kick that. It's just a really long field goal. And, again, like we keep talking about, the Dallas offense is really good. You know, the mm -hmm. fourth and three. Uh, uh, sorry, this is the Raiders. Sorry, my mistake. This is the Raiders offense, which is not mm -hmm. as good, let's be honest. Yeah. But, <laughs> Uh, still should be able to convert fourth and three more often than they don't convert fourth and three. Yeah, and interestingly, Pie, by the way, says we can look forward to Dan Quinn's unique fourth down decision making on Thursday night for the Cowboys. Actually, the Cowboys have not announced who's mm -hmm. going to be taking over as head coach with Mike McCarthy on the COVID list, but I'm guessing it's going to be Quinn. Yeah, we know it won't be McCarthy for sure. He's out, but. Interestingly, too, from this, it's a decision uh, with Basaccia that doesn't show up in our top decisions, but was earlier, and I think it was about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, they had the, the fourth and seven at the Dallas 12. They kicked the field goal. Carlson made it. They went up eight points, but Dallas had the illegal formation. They lined up over the center, and they could have – it looked like Derek Carr wanted them to accept it and go for it on fourth and two at the seven, 
to get a chance to run off more clock if they can convert. Even if they end up with a field goal, there's less time. If they get a touchdown, they put it there up five. It's a two-score game at that point. It puts them up to 12 at least. So he decided just to keep the points. And I think we were talking about it here this morning. Kind of human psychology, I think, comes into play there with the, the points are literally on the board at that point. You've made the field goal. You don't have to worry about potentially missing it. It's it's there. But if they would have accepted the penalty, gotten to fourth and two at the seven and gone for it, their win probability would have been a percent higher than it was after they made the field goal. So a small number, but in a game as close as this, that you know, really adds up. It could have been the difference between uh, overtime and the Raiders winning it in regulation uh, if they were able to convert that and get a touchdown there. Again, no guarantee, but just – looking at the odds of converting that fourth and two, it's probably they, they convert that more often than not. So one that kind of flies under the radar that I saw a couple people mentioned during the game, but really there hasn't, there really wasn't a whole lot of talk about that, but an interesting one nonetheless. So ultimately the Raiders won the game. It was uh, miscues by both teams, I think, but it was one of those games where both teams actually ended up with really strong DVOA. Dallas was at 23% for the game and Vegas at 21%. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of penalties in that one too. Whether some questionable, some good. Oh, uh, Anthony they, they Brown combined for ten each or ten plus each. That was yeah. Anthony Brown had four DPIs in one game. Was uh, that was bad? He didn't have any coming into that game, if I heard correctly. Is that right for the season? I'm not sure. But it was a lot of DPIs. If I think on that last one too, if he just turns his head, it didn't look like he really made much contact. Just didn't get his head around, and uh, yeah, ultimately cost them their late. Uh, let's talk about another game, this from Sunday, the Eagles and the Giants, low-scoring game, not the most appealing from a viewer standpoint, but a number of intriguing coaching decisions. And Nick Sirianni takes home the top play call of the weekend for this game. Yeah, I don't think, based on the coaches we've got tonight, uh, Ron Rivera's hit or miss, Pete Carroll, I don't expect to ever make a, a good fourth down decision, or maybe once out of every eight, nine, 10, something like that, but yeah, should kidding. stick at the top for the week. Um, coming in the third quarter, early in the third quarter, 12:51 left, had fourth and two on the Giants 40. They were down three instead of kicking a, a very long field goal to try and tie, chose to go for it, was a 6.9% increase in pre-snap win probability. Ended up not working out. Jalen Hurts' pass falls incomplete to Jalen Rager. I don't remember if he dropped this one, but he had a handful of drops, including two huge ones on that last uh, kind of that last gasp effort down by the goal line, um, getting kind of the Nelson Aguilar treatment um, in this one, you know, it's, it's was tough, but still Sirianna made the correct decision by our model in this choice to, in this situation to go for it, um, increasing by 7%. Despite those drop passes though, they still had a chance to take the lead in the fourth quarter, ended up having our most impactful play of the week, but it was not good for the Eagles with less than two minutes left in the fourth quarter. I think they still had all three of their timeouts. They had at least two. Uh, yeah, they had all three timeouts. Got first and 10 just across midfield, going down, driving down for a game-winning touchdown. And Boston Scott gets through the line, picks up about five yards, I think, and fumbles. Recovered by the Giants. That cost the Eagles 30.4% win probability. Would Basically, in the game, they were able to get the stop, use their timeouts, get the ball back with under a minute left, I think, or, or maybe a little over a minute. Got close, but again, those – Rager drops would end up sealing the victory for the Giants. So really, like you said, Aaron, wasn't a great game, um, either pregame leading up to it, unless you're a fan of either of these teams. Um, anything else really from this game other than kind of those those plays that we've picked out here? 
Yeah, Jalen Hurts just with his worst passing game of the year. Uh, you know, some of that is Rager drops, but some of it was Hurts just overthrowing guys, making bad decisions. Three touchdowns, uh, sorry, three interceptions, only eight passing first downs, mm -hmm. no touchdown, uh, minus 157 passing DYAR. So really bad game Ooh. for Jalen Hurts this week. What is, so you know, with the 157, what is like, I don't know if you have off top of your head an all-time bad, but is that kind of near the top of the worst? No, all-time bad is like minus 300. Oh, wow. There's like a but David Klingler game and like a Ryan Fitzpatrick game that are like like minus 300 or something. Yeah, it's still bad, 157. Uh, minus 157 is still pretty bad, though. It's one of the worst of the year, I think. Yep. Wow. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you, you keep, we mentioned the coach rankings a couple of times in here. So let's talk a little bit about the updated coaching rankings coming on Wednesday. What do you got coming for us? Yeah. So last week we put them out. We didn't have a video with holiday schedules, but this week, um, we'll have our champion gaming brand ambassador, Katie George back in with us. We'll have a video, um, kind of updating the rankings. Interested to see some of the movement based on the decisions this week. Uh, but we'll have, you know, looking at some, throwing some challenge flags. So we'll, take some decisions that are kind of under the radar. So maybe a couple that I mentioned here already that we kind of disagree with. I'm sure the Basaccio one will, will show up there. Um, and then we give out some golden whistles where we look at decisions, probably one um, like Sean McVay going for it from his own 29, you know, early. It doesn't show up in the top fives anywhere. And, and you know, it didn't work out, but it was still the right call. So things like that we'll, we'll highlight. And then uh, any storylines that come up, you know, Matt Nagy kind of on the hot seat. He's been pretty good this year as far as fourth downs go. And I'll, I think we talked about that either last week or the week before has been decent making those decisions. Uh, but looking at some coaches like that and just kind of whatever the storylines are, we'll try and cover and look at it from a decision-making standpoint, seeing how those coaches are doing. Well, that's not why he's on the hot seat. <laughs> right. <laughs> not at all. Uh, he's on the hot side for things that we're not measuring when we're talking about fourth downs. But yeah, the Rams one is interesting because that's the one where uh, Troy Aikman called them desperate for going for it on fourth and one in their own side of the field. And we, we've got to get to the point where we're not referring to those things as desperate. You can mm -hmm. disagree with the decision, but there's really not desperation behind it. There's analysis behind it. Yeah. And it was, he, and I think that was the one he mentioned, you know, I just, he thought it was too early in the game. It's like, I don't know if there's, it's ever really too early for, not only was it fourth and one, it's fourth and inches. Like they were yeah, it was inside really half a yard, yeah. extremely short. And that LA team came in, I think second in uh, DVOA and offensive DVOA coming into this game. Um, so it was, yeah, no desperation at all early in the game. They're only down seven, nothing, but with a chance, chance to hang on to the ball, especially the way they started, it was not a great start for them. Just didn't work out. Green Bay made a, a really good play defensively to stop them. So. All right, let's talk about the top five, top five most impactful plays of the week in terms of win probability. Uh, number five shocks me because it's a first quarter play, and you do not normally end up with a first quarter play having that much effect on win probability. Yeah, we didn't. There really wasn't a whole lot of big swings this week. Um, we did have some close games, but they were even ones that were close where teams were the favorite, um, you know, was still up pretty high in the game or. It, you know, the game wasn't really close at all coming down to the end. So in this one, number five was Texans Jets 0-0. I think it was the opening drive of the game. Houston had second and nine at the Jets 17, trying to get a touchdown, get on the board early. And uh, Tyrod Taylor's pass was tipped up at the line, uh, intercepted, taken back to the Houston 37. I think it was a, a big man interception there. 
good for a 17.9% swing in win probability. Number four and number three, we covered uh, just a moment ago. Dak Prescott's touchdown to Dalton Schultz was, Schultz was obviously a big one. Even after that, they were still at only 39% chance to win. They jumped up after that two-point conversion. And uh, that was number four. And then number three was Derek Carr mentioned the pass that fell incomplete on third and three, that this one is kind of propped up by Bisaccia's uh, error on kicking the field goal there on that following play, but still 27%. This one at number two was Andy Dalton late in the game against uh, Detroit, the first game of the week on Thanksgiving afternoon. They had a third and four, I think, inside the 10 and converted with five yards down to the, the four yard line, essentially allowing the Bears to just kneel out the clock or run out the clock. I think Dalton kind of got over the middle of the field. And then they knelt it out, kicked the, the walk-off field goal as time expired. But that third down conversion was huge for them, um, ensured that they could run down the clock and get the last chance down one. It was a 30.2% increase. And then number one, we talked about Boston Scott, who had a good game scored against the Giants, but came up late with a fumble that didn't really look like a big hit or anything. Um, I saw the play. I don't exactly remember what happened. It looked like it just kind of squeezed out of his arm, and he just lost it and went flying forward. So tough break for them, but 30.4, which really – most weeks we see our number one uh, in the 40s up into the 50s uh, on average. I think for that biggest win probability swing, obviously big weeks, it'll be 70, 80, 90. But yeah, 30.4 is pretty low for our number one. So just kind of more you know, evidence of the fact that the, the games really, there weren't any that were in, you know, had some big moments late, it seems like. Even that Packers game coming down to the wire with the Rams and the questionable, very questionable uh, time management from McVeigh. The Packers were still in the 90% to win, so not really a whole lot in any of these games. All right, we're going to get to the top five play calls. Just reminding everybody again, if you're watching, that we are live streaming at 1 p.m. Eastern every day. So please rate, uh, rate us five stars on your podcast app. Leave a review. Subscribe to all the Football Outsider shows, whether it's on Twitch or YouTube or your podcast app. Uh, every day we're here, 1 o'clock Eastern, and then afterwards on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. And we want to talk about the top five best coaches' decisions of the week on fourth down. And uh, Ian, why don't you start us off with number five, uh, someone who doesn't go for it that often, but uh, he did this week, and that's Mike Zimmer. Yeah, Zimmer's actually been pretty good here of late. He had the really bad game earlier in the year, but it seems like He's come up, you know, at least, you know, once every other week or so and has been pretty good in these kind of obvious situations. You know, not really, I guess, not really meaning to take anything away from him, but fourth and goals. He had the one late against the Chargers that was really good that sealed that game. This one was the fourth and goal at the three late in the game. So earlier in the first quarter on their second drive, I think it was, he had a fourth and goal at the two and chose to go for it. That was worth about three and a half percent. And they were able to convert score and go up seven nothing on that one. This one. It was about nine minutes left. They were down eight, 34-26. And I, this is one where I think a lot of coaches, we would see kick a field goal, say, hey, there's nine minutes left. We kick a field goal, we get it to five. If we can hold them and get a touchdown, you know, we can win the game. Even if they get another field goal, we still have a chance to tie with a touchdown and two-point conversion. But he chose to go and get it right there and, and knowing, hey, we don't get it. You know, we know what our deficit is. We get it. We're in a tie ball game or at least down, down two potentially. So this one, fourth and goal at the three, where the required conversion rate, when I worked it out earlier, was around 26 or 28 percent. You're a, a yard behind a two-point conversion, so probably in the low 40s-ish, low to mid 40s, I would imagine, with two-point conversion being pretty close to 50 percent, and depending on the team. So 
a really good decision by him. They didn't get this one, unfortunately, for the Vikings. Um, but both teams, they, uh, San Francisco ended up getting the win and moved up to, I think, sixth in the, the wild card, right, the sixth spot in the NFC. Minnesota yep, Minnesota is still in the seventh spot despite yes. a losing record. Yeah, with Carolina losing and the Saints, I think, kind of helped them get to, to seventh. So they're still in it. And if, he, if Zimmer continues to make some decisions like he did yesterday uh, with that team that he's got, hopefully – Dalvin Cook, from what I've seen, it looks like he might be out for a little bit. I'm, I'm not sure if it's the rest of the year or not. Yeah, Alexander um, Madison season, baby. Yeah, just like it seems like it is every year coming down the end of the season or, or fairly often. But, yeah, if he can keep keep it up, he can keep them in the, the playoff contention and potentially get them in to play in the wildcard round. So number four is Frank Reich, a guy we see on here a lot of time. He's actually on both lists this week, which also seems like happens fairly often with him. Uh, early in the game, He'll he'll kind of – have some conservative calls, which we'll see. But this one was in the second quarter. He actually had a handful uh, early in the game that were good as well. Fourth and one at the Tampa Bay 18, up three points with six minutes left, choosing to go for it instead of kicking the field goal, knowing against that Buccaneers team, even with a good Colts defense, who's better against the run than they are the pass, but still a good defense, knowing that it's going to take more than field goals to win that game. Um, so going on to, to go for it, there was a 4.3% increase. They did convert that. Matt LaFleur at number three. This was early in the game. This one was fun to watch because it's at Green Bay. It's their their opening drive, I believe. Fourth and one at their own 49-yard line. And like as soon as – I don't I think it might have been Dylan or Jones that ran at the play before, but as soon as the crowd saw that he was short and it was fourth and one, they started cheering to go for it. And LaFleur, you know, had no hesitation doing so. So our coach of the year last year has kind of picked up. He hasn't been as good as he was last year, kind of come back a little bit, but still has been very aggressive this year. And choosing to go for it, there was a 4.8% increase in pre-snap win probability. A.J. Dillon picked up the two yards like it seems like he always does when they need it. A guy that reminds me of kind of Derrick Henry, obviously not the size and speed combination as Henry. No one is really like him, but I think I've seen over the last couple weeks he's got the most yards after contact or – or top two or three since he came into the league last year. So with a guy like Dylan, and especially with Rodgers, where you can you know, play fake and a guy that knows how to how to get you know the yardage needed a lot of times, just really smart decision on the floor to trust those guys that are some of the best in the league. And then number two, no surprise here. I don't think either one of us is really shocked to see Don Harbaugh up here. Uh, oh, number two with a 5.4% increase. This was early in the game as well, early in the second quarter. They're up three already, fourth and one at their own 44 nearing midfield with Lamar Jackson and that offense. Uh, really no surprise to see that at all. Um, I think that's pretty much expected for Baltimore anytime they're outside their own 25 or own 20. Uh, they're just going to go for it. So really good there, 5.4. And then number one, we covered Nick Sirianni for the Eagles at fourth and two at the 40. That was a 6.9% increase that will probably stand uh, through tonight's Monday Night Football game. You never know but uh, that one seems like it'll end up being the best of the week through tonight. And then the five worst coaching decisions on fourth down, the decisions that coaches made that had the most negative impact in terms of win probability, uh, starting off with a coach who I don't think has been particularly good on fourth downs this year, and that's David Culley of the Houston Texans. Yeah, the interesting one with David Culley here is it was you know late in the game, Early in the fourth quarter, but late in the game, about 12 and a half minutes left. Had fourth and three at his own 39, trailing by four. So what's interesting to me here, excuse me, is earlier on their opening drive, it was fourth and one at their own 41. 
he chose to go for it and they got 10 yard Rex Burkhead got 10 yards on the play. Here we are later, you know, in getting into, you know, not really a desperate situation. There's still a lot of time left, but I mean, you're down four. You're going to, you need some points. You need to move the ball to punt. You don't know how many possessions are left uh, in this game. So fourth and three expected, even a team like Houston playing against, you know, not a great offense, but playing against the Jets, who aren't a good team at all. You would expect them to convert that 50% of the time or more. So a situation where you would, you'd like to see him go for that, but kind of got conservative there and ended up, uh, Jets ended up getting a field goal. They got the ball back with a chance to win it or to tie it up at least, but weren't able to come through. And this was a, oh, well, this one really hurt them. And then tied, I guess on number four, tied at number four is McCarthy, who's got two that we covered down four, the, the fourth and three at their own 41 early in the third quarter. You can see there's 3.8. And then just slightly worse was a little bit later in that quarter with two and a half left at their own 33, fourth and two, choosing to punt there as 3.9%. Number two, I just mentioned Frank Wright kind of ends up on both of these lists a lot of times. Up three, fourth and one at his own 43 in the first quarter. Really surprising here, you know, Jonathan Taylor, there was all the, the MVP talk for him, but whether or not he's MVP, he's a very good running back. They have a good offensive line. The Bucks have a really good defensive uh, or good run stopping unit, but it's one yard in the NFL. You don't even have to run it. Carson Wentz, you know, can can get out, move move out of the pocket, make something happen. So was really surprised that this happened. It was early on, but still surprising nonetheless to see him go kind of conservative on a fourth and one nearing midfield. And then number one, we talked about, and we've been kind of getting some some uh, pushback on this one on social media. But looking at it, you know, we we talk about it all the time. It's not a gimme field goal. It's fifty six yards. Even if you 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 um, you make that field goal, you're still down three. You're still up three, giving the Cowboys a chance to tie or to win it with a touchdown with two minutes left and two timeouts. So really, it, it's hard to argue for the field goal on that one. You know, someone said the only decision on here was the one where you know the coach won the game, but I mean the, the coach doesn't know he's going to win the game in the end at the point of the decision. So right, really look at it that football way. is the goal. Of football is to win the game, not to go to overtime. Mm-hmm. Even if you win in overtime, like they did, still, yeah, you you want to win the game as soon as you can. That's at the end of regulation. So really hard, like I said, just hard to argue for the field goal there, knowing who's on the other side of the ball or on the other side of the field that's going to get the ball with not not a lot of time left, but definitely enough time uh, in the NFL for for a team to get down the field. All right, don't forget you can find these top fives and more over at the edgesports.com top five editorial section, uh, along with the risky business column talking about the Lions' loss on Thanksgiving and the value of timeouts late in a close game. Uh, That brings us to previewing Monday night football. I'm sure everyone is uh, excited for the battle of injured Russell Wilson versus Taylor Henneke. Uh, Seattle versus Washington tonight. Washington, if they win this game, they're in the playoff race. I mean, they'll be five and seven, and um, or they'll be five and six. They'll be five and six. And Minnesota right now has the seventh spot at five and six. So Washington wins this, and they're in it. Uh, the market is uh, at pick'em for this game. So, what do you think about tonight and Monday night football? Yeah, and not and just on the lines of the playoffs there, not even just the wild card that puts them, I think two games out of first in the NFC East. And they still have two games against Dallas, two games against Philly 
in a game against the Giants. So not completely out of the question. A little bit tough. You know, that we still think Dallas is a good team, obviously. But they'll be right in it for the NFC East race as well. And you mentioned to pick them in the market. We've got it at Seattle minus one. So I think this is actually our closest game of the week. It's at 50.5% win probability for Seattle and 495 for Washington. So very evenly matched here. Um, it looks like there are a couple places that have Seattle minus one, but we're we're right on that. So really not a lot of value to be had there. The total, really not much either. Uh, looking at now, Vegas Insider is at 47 as the total. We've got it at 56% chance to reach 47 points um, or go over, uh, to go over 47. So not counting the push there at 47 points. We're at 52 and a half. So there's really not a lot here. Um, interestingly, Seattle opened as two-point favorites last Sunday, I think it was. And it quickly, you know, shifted down to Washington, got up to as high as Washington minus one and a half on Thanksgiving or on Friday, and then shifted back to a pick I think, on Saturday or Sunday. And looking at that, you know, 66% of the money is on Seattle in the market, and 61% of the bets are on Washington. So pretty split, but people that are putting – Bigger dollar value bets on this are on Seattle at about two to one. Um, so, but yeah, for us, our model, we really see it as a pretty even match game. Not really a ton of value to be had on either the spread or the total. The problem here is that Russell Wilson has been such a different quarterback since he came back from the finger injury. You know, he was he was really really good, especially in the mm-hmm. first three games of the season. But even if you look specifically at the first five games of the season. Seattle's offense was still among the best in the league, and then they had the three Geno Smith games, and then the last two games, Russell Wilson has been a problem. So it's difficult to project what you should expect from the Seattle offense. Like, how much weight do you put on the last two games, Mm -hmm. given that Wilson has an injury? It's not just an issue of sample size where this is two games and you have to consider the whole season because the injury could definitely be playing into how Russell Wilson is playing. So I definitely like Seattle a little bit over Washington in this game, but I agree that it's pretty close because we don't really know what you're getting out of Wilson. An injury, uh, interesting prop bet, I think, though, is Wilson over one and a half passing touchdowns. We have him projected with 1.9 passing touchdowns. That Washington secondary has been bad against wide receivers this year. They've been the worst in the league against deep passes by DVOA. Like, I really like the idea of Wilson getting two or three passing touchdowns in this game. These these are not great defenses between these two teams. This could be kind of a – I mean, even though the quarterbacks aren't – you know, especially Heineke is not great, this could be a little bit of a shootout. Yeah, in Seattle, look, I think what Alex Collins is pretty much their only healthy running back and isn't really – he's even got some injuries of his own. They really have out to pass- He's banged up. They have to pass the ball, and and, yep. and so let's see. We'll see how Wilson is doing. Um, the Seattle defense, by the way, is really good against first wide receivers, which is not so great for Terry McLaurin tonight, but they're bad against running backs as receivers, so it could be a big J.D. McKissick night. Yeah, and looking, you we talked about Washington. Another thing I noticed this morning looking at this game, Seattle so is 15th in the NFC right now, but the way the middle of the pack is there, coming up on the sixth and seventh spot in the playoffs, they're at four and seven. You mentioned Minnesota in the seven spot at five and six. It's, they still have a shot if they can win and kind of string together some wins here too. But I feel like they have to win tonight. Or Nobody in the NFC is done. dead other than Detroit. Yep. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in for today's show. I want to thank everybody who's watching right now on Twitch and YouTube and in the 
corner of Football Outsiders and our little widget. Want to thank everybody who listens on the Football Outsiders podcast network, everybody who commented during the show, Todd Singer, Hitchhiker's Pie, Useful was first, who I believe was first. Um, tomorrow, Scott Spratt and Derek Klassen talking about fantasy football. Wednesday, Kale Clinton with me and Mike Tanier doing Ask Me Anything. Thursday, J.P. Acosta will be on to preview Thursday uh, and the Week 13 games with me and Tanier. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite platform. Leave a review if you can. Don't forget the FO Plus sale, only 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. Uh, you can access this footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or through the link in the description of this show. And don't forget to check edgesports.com for additional betting analysis. That's edjsports.com. Thank you, Ian, for joining me. And I will see you next Monday, and we will see you tomorrow. Uh, watchers, we will see you tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern for the Fantasy Show with Scott and Derek. Enjoy Monday Night Football. Have a good one.